We're going to start with some announcements, uh, two of which are in the bulletin, two are not. Um, the two in the bulletin, obviously feel free to read about it yourself, but I just want to highlight on August 11th, we are going to go on a non-church sanctioned tubing ride down Rapid Creek. But it's non-church sanctioned, so the church is not promoting that, they're not advertising that, they're not doing anything with insurance, but on August 11th, a bunch of us are going to get together and go tubing. And there's no age restriction on that. Um, the kids will be watched. We're going to go drop off up towards Pactola and float back down to where our kids are at. When you tube, you always have one or two free hands, and you can fill those with whatever you want. Right? It's just a good time to hang out with people in the beauty of the Black Hills. Um, so August 11th. Uh, the second one that I kind of wanted to point out um, we're hosting a retreat up at uh, our cabins, my wife and I's cabins, on August 24th through the 26th. It's a two-night retreat. Friday and Saturday cost hardly anything. You're basically just paying for food. But it's a tangible chance for you to pull away from the craziness of your normal life in order to focus on God. If you've got questions about that, talk to me. It's also on our website, which is kind of promoted on there as well. So I'll keep telling you guys about that for the weeks to come. Um, retreating is such an essential component of the biblical heroes' lives, including Jesus. And so it obviously needs to be a part of ours. Um, the other two that I want to talk about, um, first one is that tomorrow is a semi-annual meeting for Rimrock. And a lot of you may not know that we are Rimrock. And the collective body gathers in order to hear about the budget, what's coming up, the changes that they're making, and that's going to happen tomorrow after the second service, so like 11.45. And it's easy to just dismiss the value of church, but you got to think about the power of people coming together and collectively promoting the gospel. And so these semi-annual meetings can be a really good chance to figure out what's going on. And then the last one, um, if you guys, if I have your email address, you've received a couple emails about Layton. Uh, it's Caitlin and Danny Scully's daughter. She's like eight or nine years old. And we got a picture of her, if you wouldn't mind putting it up. Uh, she has an auto dis autoimmune blood disorder that they discovered last week um, that if it's not treated, can cause kidney failure. And it's caused like extreme amounts of pain. She was flown to Sioux Falls last week. Um, she was released yesterday, and she has a bit of a road to recovery. They're talking three to six weeks to work through it. Um, a lot of pain in walking, um, but she's determined, I was told, to be walking without crutches by school time. So she's a fighter. But the reason I bring this up is so that way we can pray for her. We're going to look at the spiritual world that truly exists tonight, and there's some power in prayer that I can't even begin to comprehend. You know, if you want to do something more tangible to help her out or her family out, talk to Brittany. Her and Seth are doing childcare right now. But they're kind of coordinating some stuff like that. So her name is Layton. She's like eight or nine. Um, just a heck of a thing for her and her parents to go through. So, okay. Announcements are done. So we, over the last, what, almost two months now, we've been going through a series called Unshakable. We've been looking at seven or eight undeniable biblical truths. Regardless of what denomination you're involved in, these are the foundations of Christianity. It's what it's all built upon. And tonight we're going to look at basically the essence or the nature of humanity. Start with a little philosophical ramble. You are temporary yet permanent. You are fleeting 
yet eternal. You are both finite and infinite. According to the Bible, the fundamental truths of the Bible, there is more for us than just this life. We have been created in the image of God, and God is immortal. He cannot die. Even though our bodies will someday die, we have also been made with a spirit or a soul, a part of us that is immortal. A part of us that contains the deepest pieces of who we are, our mind, our emotions, our willpower. Even after our bodies stop working and begin to slowly decay, we will continue to live, not on the physical plane, but in the spiritual world. I know this is already starting to sound hokey, but man, this is like one of the most foundational truths of the Bible. You know, it's hard for us to grasp the idea of a spiritual world, especially in this culture that we live in. We are taught that the truths are built on what we can see and what can be logically proven. And for many intelligent, well-studied people, the spiritual realm falls outside of what can be systematically proven. But so does love. So do our brains. So do the countless examples of miraculous healing. Right? Think about love and the power of love and what that does to people, good and bad. That's not an emotion. That's not a mindset. You know, when I was in a brain rehab hospital a couple of years ago, one of the doctors told me that they are now currently, their understanding of the brain is where they used, where they were at for the heart in 1950. So they understand the brain as well now as well as they did the heart back in the 1950s. This shows how little they know about the brain, how they can't prove it, they can't systematically explain it. And think about the countless, countless examples of people being healed, even though doctors and science cannot prove or figure out why they were healed. You know, there's a lot of arguments for the proof of the spiritual world, some of which are a bit hokey, but others that are quite rational. If you want to talk about those, come and talk to me. In order to believe anything that is in the Bible, cover to cover, we must first acknowledge that there's a spiritual realm that mankind is more than flesh and bones, that there's a whole other world that exists beyond what we can see. And a major component of this biblical truth is where we go the moment our bodies die. There's obviously two places that the Bible says we go, heaven or hell. And this could be an entire summer-long series. But to quickly define what heaven and hell are, heaven means we are going into God's presence. Hell, fully separated from God and all his influences on us and the world. You know, there's so many different verses and so many different trains of thought and belief systems that are built up to explain heaven and hell, but that's it. Into God's presence is heaven, away from God and all his goodness is hell. You know, let's take a little time to examine heaven. Revelation 12, 21, 1 through 7 kind of gives us a good idea of what heaven's all about. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. You mind going back three? Thank you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, This is his description of heaven. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. And he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give life, give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Heaven is a place where God and his goodness reign without being hindered. It is a place that is full to the brim with perfection. The corruption and the heartache that humanity bring into the world have been completely removed. It is a place that where all that reside have been made new, fully cleansed of their faults, given new bodies and purified minds. Heaven is where people get to spend time with the one that made them. In my opinion, heaven will be a lot like the Garden of Eden, a world a lot like ours, full of natural beauty and diversity, a place where people have jobs and hobbies and community. Heaven is our world remade, one without sin and the corruption that it brings. It is a place where we can intimately spend time in the direct presence of God himself, who is the source of all that is good. Heaven is the place where we were designed to live. Then there's hell. 2 Thessalonians 1 through 6, 1, 6 through 10, gives us a little bit of a picture of it. For it is indeed just of God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to the afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus. Here's hell. These will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes to be glorified by all his saints and to be marveled at on that day among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Hell is a place fully cut off from God and the goodness that he brings. Whatever physical form it takes, it is a place that is void of God and his influence. And we live in a world that is saturated with good things. The beauty and provision of nature, love and laughter, purpose and contentment, those things that we long for and we enjoy when we get. Even though we are not in God's direct presence, we still experience the ripple effect of his goodness. Hell is a place where none of these good things exist. Take a moment to consider that. A place where the flesh reigns, where selfishness, anger, violence, despair, depression run rampant and unrestricted. You know, in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus tells his disciples not to fear those who kill the body, but rather the one who can destroy both the, the soul and body in hell. It's important to understand what happens to the disciples after Jesus leaves. All but one of his disciples were martyred, many of them in gruesome ways. And Jesus tells them that hell is far worse than being sawed in half or torn limb by limb. Without God and his goodness, the, 
one experiences the deepest darkness void of any hope. Hell is the exact opposite place that we were made to be. You know, according to the Bible, these are the two options for one's spirit and soul once the body is gone. And we all know we're going to die, 100% odds. We're either going to be in God's presence or fully separated from our creator and all his goodness. In my opinion, there are no two things that are more polar opposite. Let's think about, talk about the deciding factor. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 gives us some insights into why people go to such extremely opposite places. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up their dead that were, the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is heavy. A person's place for eternity depends on their works, what they did in their life. Because heaven is in God's presence and God is perfect, one must have lived a perfect life, one that is in full accordance with our creator's design to earn their way into eternal bliss. One single slip up, one time of not loving and being selfless towards other people, seeking out God just one time, and you are not able to be in the presence of the perfect almighty maker of everything. It's obvious that we all fall into that, into that realm. But there is another book, the book of life. Names recorded in here are ushered into paradise so that way they can experience the essence of good. The names of the perfect are found in this book. And as we spent the last two weeks looking at, perfection comes to those who believe that Jesus was sent by God to die the substitutionary death for all of humanity. I don't have this behind me, but we know it. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever should believe in him gets eternal life. Their name is written in the book of life. Because of God's intense desire to bring all people into his presence so that way they can experience nothing but good for all time, he provided a way to be atoned or to be made perfect. This desire lies at the heart of God. Let's look at Ezekiel 18, 30 through 32. For me, this sums up so much of God's view of humanity. He's speaking to Israel, but it's fully applicable to us as well. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, all of you according to your ways, says the Lord God. Remember those books. Repent and turn from all of your transgressions. Otherwise, iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel, O, hum o humanity? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. 
you see in here that a person's eternal destiny lies fully in their hands. Either we recognize our brokenness and call out for a savior, or we believe in our own innate goodness and a passive, unjust God and hope that we will hang out in, in nirvana with the rest of humanity. There is no bigger decision that a person makes. That was a big chunk. There's so many different forms of application with these truths. You know, I imagine some of your minds and hearts are feeling the heaviness of this topic or just reeling under the reality of it and the people that you know and love. Please follow the Spirit wherever He leads you on this. But over the next 10, 15 minutes, I want to look at the importance of us having an eternal perspective during the days we have been given on earth. An internal perspective benefits both us and those around us. Now, the idea of an internal perspective is that we must always remember that this life and this world is not our home. We were made for a different place, one in which we bask in the glory of God. This side of heaven, we will never be fully satisfied. I don't care how you try to do it, right? There's just story after story after story after story of people trying so many different ways to get satisfied and ending up bankrupt. This side of heaven, we will never avoid hardship and sadness. Our discontentment and times are suffering are because we are not yet home. Now, knowing this when we go through hard times can be extremely beneficial. Understanding that no matter what this broken world throws at us, soon it will be done away with, soon we'll be able to exist in the way that we deeply desire is so crucial to help us understand suffering. Now, I understand that a week or a month or 20 years of hardship, of pain and loss does not feel like a short amount of time. But when we are able to recognize and then continually remember what 80 years of life looks like in the midst of eternity, Think about that, 80 years versus eternity, a pinpoint versus a mile-long line. By understanding that and remembering that, it can bring comfort and peace to one's suffering. You know, Nick, he happens to be here tonight. He had been he's been partially paralyzed for four years. For him, thoughts on what eternity will hold is what gives him the strength to push through the loss of his physical ability and to continue to live life with everything he has knowing that soon he will be home and his body will be restored. You know, Paul writes similar sentiments in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer na nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look at not what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. You know, having an eternal perspective not only helps us with our suffering, but it also can give us vigor and passion for today. You were intentionally created given a specific number of days for specific reasons. 
The fact that our time in this reality is intentionally given but temporary should drive us to focus on the eternal so that way we know best how to live this life. You are an eternal being made by God. You, he gave you this fleeting life for a purpose. If you want to know what your purposes are, you must fix your eyes on the one that made you. I love the way that Paul puts it in Colossians 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died spiritually, your flesh is dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. When you truly understand the nature of this life and our existence, it will give you a whole other perspective on why and how you live this life. Living out of an eternal perspective means that we do not simply do what feels good in the moment. We do not live our lives based on the mantra that this life is all that we have and our purpose is to find as much enjoyment as possible. You know, this is why our culture loves the pursuit of pleasure from sex, drugs, alcohol. This is why we work so hard so that we, we can retire and do nothing but play golf and soak up the desert sun in the winter. Because I think that this is all we have. May as well enjoy it. Instead, with the internal perspective, we need to live out of the philosophy that we have only been given one life during which we are called to love God and to love others. When our time is up, those whose name is written in the book of life will stand before the one that made us and give an account for how we lived our lives. Get this from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. You want to talk about heavy. This is the one that's been weighing on me. According to the grace of God given to me, this is Paul talking, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, right? Very different. The work of each builder will become visible for the day will disclose it. Notice how day is capitalized because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will, attest, will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, that's crucial, but only as through fire. Whew. So in Greek, the day is translated bema. You may have heard of the bema seed. That's this idea. And there's a lot of complexity to this. But in the next three minutes, I just want to make sure we understand that we are always, always made perfect by the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus' sacrificial death perfected us once and for all. Read Hebrews 10. It's clear as day in there once and for all. God's view on us and his love for us are not determined by our actions. His love is illogical and radically stable. You know, I, 
got an analogy for you to hopefully make this come home. So I bought a pedal bike for my son, who's five, uh, last week. So we're moving from the Strider to a pedal bike. And I'm so excited for him to learn the joys and freedoms that come from riding a bike. Right? There's like, other than getting your driver's license, right? That's like the next step towards freedom. But this is just like an incredible time in a boy or a girl's life. But I also understand that this will take some time for him to figure it out. So we begin with my hands on his shoulder and on his seat, giving him sta stability and momentum. When we trans we then transition to just my hand on his seat, giving him balance while he puts his feet on the pedals and then a good push to get him going. While he's riding, I'm giving him small words of advice of where to look, how to coast, how to break without leaving 30 skid marks in front of my single neighbor's yard. It's like over and over. It's like, oh man, another one. You know, but I'm shouting words of encouragement and praise. Even when his handlebars get caught in a fence and he crashes or he gets frustrated, loses his desire to pedal, and then I have to carry his bike two blocks home, I'm there to comfort and help him push through because I want him to experience the joys of riding a bike well. And I look forward to the day that I can take him up M Hill or to Moab, just a whole other level of enjoyment that we'll have. Now, this is the same thing for us and God and our journey through this life. He knows the abundant life that we have, we could be having, and he deeply wants us to experience it, but he also understands our weaknesses. So he continually gives us what we need to learn how to live a better life. Through directing our thoughts and emotions, surrounding us with certain peoples, and at times supernaturally interacting with our lives, God is supporting us as we learn how to best live this life for the intentional purpose that he has given us. Even when we get tangled up in our own selfishness or we get upset and just cry out in frustration at him, he's there to comfort us and to give us the strength and resolve to continue to follow him because he knows what lies ahead of us and he wants us to, to enjoy that and he wants to experience it with us. Our creator, creator's love is unchanging and is constantly displayed in our lives in tangible ways, most of which we never recognize. But he does this because he wants us to experience the joy and fulfillment of living life well. Right? He is our father and we are just little toddlers trying to figure this life out. So instead of allowing the day, Bema Seat Day, in which we will appear before God to bring us fear, it should be a motivator to be intentional about how we spend our time. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 kind of calls us to action. So this is after Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, where we look at um, people like Enoch and uh, Moses and Abraham and all these people that did things so well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. That's our life. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. A race or a fight has been put before us. 
we must battle with every ounce of energy that God gives to live the purposes that he has set before us. Before we know it, our lives will be done and all of eternity will be sitting before us. During this time in the here and now, we must intentionally set our eyes on God, seeking him and his will for our lives. And in the same way Jesus did, we must be willing to surrender all of the time that we have in this temporary state. You know, many of the people that we see every day and live life with need a better understanding of who God is so that way they can more fully understand what eternity holds. A major purpose that we have been given for our lives is to openly declare God's goodness in order to save people from a total absence of good. We must fight to hang on to an eternal perspective and remember how fleeting but important our time is. We must passionately pursue God's calling on our lives regardless of how uncomfortable it may feel in the moment. Because when it's all said and done, for those of, those of you that trust in Jesus' death, we will be in God's presence, fully content, lacking no good thing. I want to leave you with a quote. It's by a guy named David Gibson. He wrote a book called Living Life Backwards that I just started to read. It's about Ecclesiastes. He says, I am convinced that only a proper perspective on death provides a true perspective on life. Living in the light of your death will help you live wisely and freely and generously. It will give you a big heart and open hands and enable you to relish all the small things of life in deeply profound ways.